I believe it was Wednesday this past week, and I was leaving to come to work and taking some trash out through the garage on my way to get in my truck and come to work. And as I passed through the garage, I noticed a, a smell. It, this was not a, a scent. This was not an aroma. This was, this was a smell that seemed to be kind of turning the corner and headed for an odor. And, and I kind of, I couldn't place it. I mean, we've been in our house now for 11 years, and we found all kinds of critters, you know, it, dead in the walls or in the attic or cracks and crevices or whatever around the house. You know, I'm talking about snakes, mice, frogs, you name it, we found it. And, but the smell wasn't terrible, so I kind of made a mental note. I thought, I'm going to check that later on. And as I walked through, I just made sure that the freezers were still on. If you've ever had a freezer go out that was full of meat, that is a horrible experience. You go to all the trouble to, to harvest this venison for the family for winter, and then the power goes out and the family starves. It's terrible. But the freezer was running. Everything was cool, and I dropped the trash in the can and got in my truck and went to work. And when I got home, the, the odor persisted, and it was, it was still there. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check the freezer a little more closely. And so I went, and instead of just seeing that the light was on, I, I opened the door of the freezer, and, and it was still cold. But I could tell that, like, the meat, it wasn't, like, solid frozen anymore. It was kind of starting to thaw a little bit, and it wasn't as cold as it should have been. So I immediately went inside, and I, I picked up the phone, and I called the store where we had bought this particular freezer. I'm not going to mention the name of it, but it rhymes with here's and tow truck. And I went, some of y'all will get that later on. That's a, that's a generational joke. But I called and navigated my way through the automated phone tree and finally got a real live person on the other end of the line. And she pulled up the record, sure enough, had the record of when we had bought this freezer. And, and she started scanning the calendar, looking for a time that they could send out a technician. And she said very nonchalantly, uh, Mr. Richard, we can, we can have someone out there between the hours of 9 and 11 a.m. in four weeks. Will there be someone 18 years or older to let the technician in? And I started doing the math, thinking about the meat that was in the freezer, and I was like, that meat is not going to last a month. And so I very politely said, I appreciate your time. I tell you what, I'm going to find someone hopefully that can get here a little faster. And as I was hanging up the phone, disconnecting the call, it hit me all of a sudden, I don't know anybody else to call. I, I don't have appliance repair people on speed dial. I don't think I know any appliance repair people. And so I, I was sitting there going, I mean, I felt like I was in Ghostbusters. It was like, who are you going to call? I, I was like, who in the world? And I started, you know, so who are you going to call? I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them with rainy day passion and enthusiasm, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call is a profound question. It's a profound question if your freezer is on the fritz, but it's an even more profound question when you hurt. When you experience a, a, a crisis or a catastrophe greater than your freezer going out, who are you going to call? Who is it that's going to show up when you struggle, when you hurt, when you doubt? Who are you going to call? is a really, really significant question. I, I will tell you that it's really kind of the primary catalyst for this series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Beyond Friday Night Lights that's looking at the power of real connectivity, real and authentic 
community because I noticed a pattern that kept repeating itself and felt led to launch this series, and that was that the people who struggle the most, the people who hurt the deepest and, and mourn and grieve the longest are, are separated by incredible diversities of circumstances and situations, but they are united by one commonality. One common thread runs through all of those people who struggle so deeply, and it is the common thread of isolation. When, when people are isolated from real community, from people who really care about them, from people who can really and truly help, that is when they struggle the most. That's when the pain seems to linger the longest. And it was for that reason that, that I felt like this idea of community may be really and really, really and truly more profound, more significant than any of us realizes in our day-to-day worlds. Because the fact of the matter is, we're all so busy. I mean, everybody is moving from place to place and here to there and school's back in and football started and we're moving and blowing and going and shaking and everything is just, just crazy. Well, what's, what is the, the badge of courage that we all love to wear? It's like, I'm busy. How you doing? <laughs> busy. I'm so busy. And I think kind of underneath that message of busyness, a lot of times it's like, I'm just that important. I mean, people need me, Jack. That's, I mean, because what, what would you say if somebody said, how are you doing? None of us is going to go, <laughs> I'm bored. I just, I just kind of hang out. I mean, we would never admit that. If you take a vacation, you always follow, <laughs> well, we needed it too. We had been blowing and going for the last 10 months. It had been just nuts around our house. When in reality... We all have to understand that we are wired up. We are built by God himself, the grand designer for community. In order for us to experience the life we were created to live, we have to access. We have to pursue. We have to cultivate. We have to live in a healthy, functioning community in order to have a healthy functioning life. Now, what's true of people who struggle the most? The flip side of that coin is also equally true. Those who weather storms well, those who come through crises and catastrophes in flying colors, those people are also united by the fact that they live in healthy community. They've got people that they can call. They know who they're going to call when the crisis hits, when the storm winds blow. They know where to go. And so it's imperative for us as we think about community that we understand what God is up to when he provides us that that peace that passes understanding. The, The Bible says that the peace of God passes all understanding. It surpasses all of our powers of perception But thank God we can experience it. We can live it out. And in the time that we've got left today, I want us to take a look at at how that happens. I want to remind you kind of of our baseline. We started with a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible gives us a very, very, I would call this a hyper-familiar image or metaphor to help us understand God's version, his his design and desire for community. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. This is what the Bible says. 
just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. So this picture of the body means that the church, the, the community of Christ, the family of faith, the church is an active, living organism. And we all make up different parts of the body of Christ. And within the body of Christ, all parts have the same amount of honor. There's no part more important than another. You know, the, the foot is equal to the finger, the ear equal to the rear, and all those kind of things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Because the fact of the matter is, we need each other. We all need you. You need all of us in order to function as a part of the body of Christ. But then in Romans chapter 12, as Paul is explaining how we live out this gospel story, this good news of Jesus, he, he says something that is so simple that we might skip over it. We, we might just miss how profound it really is. Look down in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Romans 12, 15 says this, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Other translations say rejoice with those who rejoice or celebrate with those who celebrate and mourn with those who mourn. What God is saying here through his Holy Spirit leading the pen of the Apostle Paul is that the church, the bride of Christ, is to be absolutely uniquely gifted and above all other people on the planet, we are to be uniquely skilled in the exercise of empathy. That we are to be people of, of real empathy. So when you hurt, we hurt. When you struggle, we all struggle. When you win and celebrate, we're all right there with you cheering you on. But the fact of the matter is that this idea of empathy, another word for empathy is compassion. I like compassion because I understand. Compassion means passion with, that, that I'm, I'm passionate. You've got my heart, but I'm with you. You're with me, and we're, we're together. So when, for example, if, if the Cowboys lose this afternoon, you, you know that your pastor is grieving, <laughs> that, that, there's, that there's more mediocrity to be had. And, and so... You, you know that. You don't, have to, you don't have to DM me or send me a message or anything, but I know that you know, and you know that I know that you know, and there's this compassion with each other. But, but what, if the, what if the wound is, is deeper than football? I know, hypothetically, but let's just say when we struggle, when we hurt, I, I think... Most of us who have been alive for about 45 minutes or more know that the fact is we can hurt at a really, really deep, deep place. There, there is a pain that happens in our lives that goes to the core of who we are sometimes, hopefully rarely, but, but sometimes it happens. And when it goes to that core, when it goes to the soul of who we are, what we need in those moments is a soul-deep connectivity with other people. We, we need more than just an acquaintance, more than just business associates. 
What we need is somebody to come alongside and, and somebody to compassion with us, to passion with and to feel what we're feeling, to specialize in the ability to empathize. That's, that's what God is calling us to. And so I, I don't know where you may be on this particular morning. You, you may be, man, things may be going great for you. You may be right now in the middle of a place where you need the comfort of the community of Christ. But no matter where you are, all of us will experience this need at some point. And all of us have to understand how God delivers, how we experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. Fortunately, we don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to kind of, you know, wander around hoping that we're helping instead of hurting. Fortunately, God has shown us. He, he tells us exactly how this happens. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Paul opens up this second letter to the church at Corinth by talking about this very thing. As he's explaining to this fledgling congregation what it looks like to live out the gospel together in the community of Christ, he goes exactly to this heart of the comfort of community. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. He says, first of all, all praise, all worship to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So four times in two verses, Paul uses this word for comfort, the, the comfort of God. God will give us this comfort. We will give that comfort to those who need to be comforted over and over again. Now, comfort is one of those things that, that we can kind of look at, and I think we need to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. Because we all gravitate towards comfort. We all gravitate away. We, we kind of shy away from those things that would create discomfort for us, like kale or working out, those kind of things. When in reality, the comfort of God goes much deeper. This, this is talking about a consolation. This is talking about God himself coming along and providing us the comfort that we need when we grieve and when we mourn. And to understand what this kind of comfort is, we have to understand the roles that the different personalities in the Trinity play. We have to understand this word comfort in God's economy, much more than our own. And to get at this, we have to go to the words of Jesus himself. In John chapter 15, Jesus is approaching the cross. He knows what awaits him there in Jerusalem, and he knows that he is about to be crucified. Now, he does know, in fact, that he will be raised from the dead on the third day, that he will resurrect, but he knows the cross is coming. And so, in John chapter 15, he is preparing his disciples for life after the cross, after he has returned to heaven. He, he's getting them ready for what life will look like when he's no longer physically there with them. This is what he says in John chapter 15. John 15, verse 26. Jesus says, but I will send you 
the comforter, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the source of all truth, he will come to you from the Father and will tell you all about me. So Jesus says, when I'm no longer here physically, I will send the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, and he will be your comfort. You, right now, you look to me, and I'm here, and, and, and I got you. But at the end of 40 days after I'm resurrected, I will return to heaven, but the presence of God will remain with you in the Spirit of God. And he says here that the Spirit of God is a comforter, that this, this comforter, other translations call him the advocate or the helper, but whatever, whatever the label is, ultimately it's about one who is with you. It's, it's the ultimate expression of compassion, passion with us. It is the Holy Spirit of God. And, and Jesus says, I will give him to you and he will be with you when I am no longer physically here, but have returned to God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is our comforter, which corresponds to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that God is the source of all all comfort. So whatever comfort you receive, whatever comfort I receive, it ultimately comes from God, but the Holy Spirit is the one who gives that comfort to us in this life, in, in the world that we live in right now. So the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. I, I think a lot of times community is one of those things that we we kind of leave on the back burner. We're, it's, it's, we know that it's there, but it's usually functioning in our subconscious unless we're really deliberate about it. It's kind of like insurance. Think, it's like homeowner's insurance or, or car insurance. We don't really worry about insurance until like there's a torrential flood and it you know, reveals a, a leak in our roof. Or let's say, let's say your car gets broken into like my daughter Emily's did this past week. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you, you've heard me preach and proclaim the values of children leaving the nest and, and moving out and buying their own food. And, and we do that. Emily is, a, is working full time. She's working you know, here at the church, but she's also in grad school. So when she decided to chase her master's degree, we kind of entered a little independence gray area. So so Emily doesn't live at home. She, she pays rent. She's got a roommate and an apartment. She buys her own gas. She buys her own food. She buys her own clothes. All that stuff's there. But one thing that has remained is, is she's, she's stayed on our auto insurance policy. And I was reminded of that when her car got broken into this week. Because I, immediately I started thinking about, well, what do we need to do? What does she need to do? And then I went, oh, yeah, it's not her policy. It's my policy. So... I called the insurance company and explained the situation to him. It's our policy. Gave him the policy number. The guy was incredibly helpful, super. But all of a sudden, he started asking me these questions about what had happened. What time did it happen? Where did it happen? What else was in the car? What was taken out of the car? Was there any damage elsewhere to the car but in the window that was smashed in? All these things. I said, whoa up, bruh. Let me get Emily on the phone with us, and she can answer all of these pertinent questions. Plus... She can learn how to do this because in nine months, she's paying her own bills. Hallelujah. So I put him on hold, called Emily up, merged the two phone calls because I'm just that techie. And all of a sudden, we were all three on this phone call. 
He asks all of the pertinent questions, and I'm just kind of sitting there as an interested bystander. It was great. Emily handled it very professionally. She was, you know, super grown-up, adult, and all that kind of good stuff. And, and we hung up the phone, and, and I thought, this, this is a great illustration of comfort. Because think about it. What is it that is bringing Emily comfort? And I thought, wait, it's not the insurance guy. It's not. He's, he's a nice guy, and he's the vehicle. But the real comfort for Emily is the fact that the insurance company is going to give back to us a fraction of the thousands and thousands of dollars that Julie and I have paid in insurance premiums for years and years before Emily was ever driving. Who's providing the comfort to Emily to know that her car will be repaired, her laptop will be replaced? Her father. This one right here. Because Julie and I have been paying those bills. The insurance company is just the vehicle for that comfort. I'm the one. Julie and I have been paying that bill. So now her car can get fixed, her laptop can get replaced, and we'll move on down the road. This is the perfect picture of the comfort of community. All comfort comes from God, the Father of all comfort, the source of all comfort. But more often than not, it comes through the community of Christ. It comes through other people coming alongside and saying, hey, you're not alone. I love you. And when you grieve, I grieve. When you struggle, I struggle. When you celebrate, I'm going to be there to celebrate with you. But right now, I got your back. I, I, I got you. We're going to do this together. And this is how it happens over and over and over again. The investment that you make in the community of Christ determines the flow of the comfort of Christ in your life when you need it most. The investment that you make in your commitment to the community of Christ will determine the flow of the comfort of Christ when you need it most. Now, it's one thing to say that's, that's what happens. But if you're like me, you're, you're kind of going, so how do I do that? How does that, what does that look like? Well, it's all really laid out for us there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you kind of pick those two verses apart, you start to see how we live that out, how we experience the comfort of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Go back to, to what it says there. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Number one, recognize the comfort of God's power. Recognize the comfort of God's power. See, when you say all praise to God, all worship to God, what you're, what you're doing is you're acknowledging the reality that he is God and we're not. You're, you're acknowledging the reality that he is sovereign, that everything that happens in this world happens under the umbrella of his authority. Now, that is incredibly liberating. But before we get to the freedom part of it, let me make sure that you understand this. A lot of times, bad things happen. And a lot of times when those bad things happen, 
when, when we grieve and hurt the worst, the deepest, our, our tendency might be to say, God, where were you? Where, where were you? Why didn't you stop that from happening? Never forget this. God is all-powerful, yes, omnipotent, and he is all-good. And sometimes God allows certain things to happen for purposes that we cannot discern in the moment in order to accomplish his purposes in eternity, his purposes in our lives. And it's in those moments when we don't understand that we start by recognizing the comfort of his power. We start and we go, God, this hurts so bad. But I trust you. You are God and I am not. And you are the God of all comfort. And Lord, I I need your comfort right now. And it's in the acknowledgement of his sovereignty as we worship him that we find incredible, incredible power and comfort, that we discover that as we praise and as we worship him as God, then we remember that because he is God, then he is able to do what he said in Romans 8, 28, that he will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's how powerful he is. Now, if you're the one doing the comforting May I please beg you, do not quote Romans 8.28. When you're comforting somebody, do not go quoting Scripture to them in that moment. If you get hit in the nose, you deserve it. When somebody's grieving, when somebody is mourning, don't quote Scripture to them. You come alongside them and tell them, I love you and I'm sorry. That's what you say to somebody hurting. Now, at a certain point down the road, out of the moment of mourning, out of the depths of despair, then you can offer truth. Then you can offer help and comfort with God's word. And absolutely, it's true. But it's not always the most helpful. The most helpful thing in the world is just to be there. When you love somebody who's grieving and mourning, you show up. You just show up. Just say, I I got you. And if you really love them, you bring food. If you're Baptist, it's a casserole. Maybe, maybe it's, it's brisket, barbecue, the healing power of barbecue. I haven't found the Bible verse to back that up, but I haven't found one that contradicts it either. But we start by recognizing the comfort of God's power. We remember the truth. Remember, Jesus said, I will send you the comforter, and he is the source of truth, and he will tell you about me. The comforter says that God is the source of all comfort. And so when we begin by recognizing the comfort of his power, that's where we start. But then the verse goes on. He says, he comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort others. So we recognize the comfort of God's power, but then we receive the comfort of God's people. Receive the comfort of God's people. Let those people come alongside you. Let those people be the community of Christ for you and with you in that moment. You you just 
receive it. And, and listen, when, when you hurt, just know people are going to say dumb things. They're, they're going to say things not because they're mean-spirited, but because they're, they're, a lot of times we just try to say something because we're trying to you know, just have something to say. I would encourage you, if you can't think of something truthful and helpful to say, don't say anything at all. Some of my best friends, some of my best friends are guys that I hang out with and we don't say a word. I'm, some of you women are like, that doesn't sound healthy. It's awesome if you're a guy. Just, just, just show up. Man, I love you. I'm so sorry. But, but I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And you're not going through this alone. So you, so you receive the comfort of God's people. But even when you hurt the deepest and the worst, you can know because of the comforter's truth that it's not just about this moment, that, that God will use this pain that you're in the middle of to help somebody else. That doesn't mean that he caused the pain necessarily, but he has allowed it, and he will allow that pain that you experience to provide comfort for somebody else who will go through something like it. What did he say? When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So we reproduce the comfort of God's presence. We reproduce that in other people's lives. So when we understand that God is with us in all of our troubles, he is compassionate, then we reproduce that in other people's lives. We reproduce the comfort we have been given in other people, and God's glory goes on. It is multiplied and handed down. You want to talk about paying it forward? That's what you're doing. You're showing somebody, I went through something similar to this. I'm not telling you I understand. I'm not telling you it's the same, but I am telling you God was there for me, and I will be here for you until you feel the presence of God. And we reproduce that in other people's lives when we come alongside them. And, and all of a sudden, this, this little thing called community, it's not a little thing. It's, it's, it's not something to, to just show up at church, you know, unless it's raining really hard. Present company excluded, obviously. If you're watching online, we love you. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm te it's a joke. I kid because I care. But I will say this, watching online, if you're deathly ill, awesome. But it's not the same as being in the room. It's not the same as gathering with the family of faith. It's not the same. It's not. It can be a great introduction. It can be a great first step. But it's never meant to be a replacement Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. That verse was written because the internet would be created one day. <laughs> but we, we reproduce the presence of God that we have experienced, the comfort of God that we have been given, then gets reproduced in other people's lives. And when you remember that and you, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your pain, in your mourning, when you grieve so deeply, you hold on to that and you go, I'll trust him. 
I wish with everything I had I wasn't hurting like I'm hurting right now, but I will trust him because he is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he is all good. And those two things never go away. And so we will trust. And we will trust that in this hurt and in this pain, he will use it one day to help somebody else who's struggling, to help somebody else who's wavering. Remember the, the freezer situation that I told you about at the very beginning? I, I did finally find somebody to show up. I, I looked through Yelp reviews. I Googled my brains out. I, I was looking for somebody, anybody. Finally, I found a guy who could come the next morning. This was like 7.30 at night. He said, I'll be there at 10 a.m. I, I left the office, went home, and got there a few minutes early to watch him, to, to wait for him, and he pulled up at 9.58. A little tear came down my chest. I was like, would it be inappropriate to kiss him? Because that's, that's what I want to do right now. I mean, there, there, we, have, we have a lot of meat in that freezer. But anyway, his name was Bo. I love Bo. Bo knows freezers. And in about 30 minutes, not only did he have the problem diagnosed, he had it fixed. He had, he had, the, he had the freezer thawed out, defrosted, the coils were humming, closed the door, checked the seal on the gasket, boom, handed me the bill. I went, I love it. I'll pay every dime of that. That's awesome. But Bo was the only one who would come fix my freezer when it needed to be fixed. I, I couldn't wait a month I couldn't wait. There, I called people like, you know, how about Tuesday or Wednesday of next week? It's like, bruh, no. But Bo was the one who showed up. Every single bit of pain that we experience in this world, every grief, every hurt, all of it, is a reflection of the reality of sin. You and I live in a fallen world. You and I are fallen. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is in the process of making all things new. He hadn't finished the process yet, obviously. But he's in that process. And until that process is completed, until he returns and calls the family of faith, home. Until that happens, we, we will experience a remnant of the fall. We will experience the, the shrapnel of sin. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's other people's sin. Sometimes it's just the created order and the fact that all of creation is currently groaning as in childbirth, waiting for the new creation to be made real. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was the only one 
who did show up, and the only one who could fix the problem. Because Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And God the Son took on your sin and my sin, the sin of this world and the created order, in order to subdue that sin, in order to defeat the consequences of that sin, which is death. And when he rose from the dead, and and make no mistake about it, he rose from the dead. It's not a metaphor. It's not a myth. He rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. And when he rose from the dead, he did so with the promise of a new life for anyone who would believe in him. A new life that certainly stretches into and through eternity, but begins right here and right now. This is who he is, and this is what he does. I want to ask you, if you will, just bow your heads with me for a moment, for just a brief moment. And I want to ask, if you would, please, nobody moving or stirring around, creating a distraction for any reason at all, please. It's too important. If you're here and you have never stepped into a relationship with Christ, we want to invite you to do it. Just right now. To take that step of faith, of trust. To acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and the one who forgives sin. Your sin, my sin. If God's leading you to take that step right now, we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Prayer is just a a communication, a conversation with God from your heart to his. Just silently say something like this. If, If this is where you are right now, just to begin that relationship, silently just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I confess my sin. I'm not hiding any of it. I'm not holding any back. I'm pushing it all to you for your forgiveness. And in this moment, Jesus, I accept. I accept the gift of your forgiveness your amazing grace. And in exchange, I give you my life. Lord, I choose to believe that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again for me. And so right here, right now, I accept your offer of a new life. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name.
going to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. Because in this moment, as God's moving in people's lives, it kind of, it it begs the question, what's next? If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, where do you go from here? And that's that's where we come in. We want to help. We want to be a family of faith with you. And so there are two things that you can do to help get that ball rolling. Number one, just right now, if you would, with your head bowed, open up the program that you got when you came in. And you'll notice inside there is a thing called the Connect card. If you'll just start filling that out, your name and contact information, which we always keep internally. About a third of the way or so down, you'll notice there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And if you'll complete that card, that's the best way to start this process, to let us know how we can help at whatever pace works for you, but we want to come alongside and help. Once you've completed that card, if you will, kind of tear it off at the perforation there along the fold and before you leave in just a moment, just hand that card to one of our ushers. Just make the time, a brief moment to make a personal connection and hand that card to one of our ushers. And then second of all, if that was your prayer and this is your moment, as our heads are bowed for just another second, if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second. As you hold your hand up, know that you're making a physical statement about a spiritual commitment most important moment of your life. And so you stamp this moment in your life and in the life of this church family. And know that we just want to help. We want to come alongside and do whatever we can to help you. Be a family with you. We need you. And our family tradition, as you put your hands down. We put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. Again, I want to remind you, congratulations, you got extra credit for being here today. I hope you have a fabulous nap at some point this afternoon and a great, great week ahead. God bless you and have a good week.